Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. On this episode of Talk Travel Asia podcast, we chat with Matt Hunt about Free the Bears, an organization that rescues and protects bears with programs in Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia, where today's guest happens to be available for a live interview with me, your co-host Trevor Ranges. I've been fortunate enough to visit and support Free the Bears sanctuaries here in Cambodia, where Matt will join us soon, and in Luang Prabang, Laos, where I believe my co-host Scott Coates has also visited the bears. How you doing, Scott? Doing real well, Trevor, in Bangkok as usual. And you are correct. I have been to Free the Bears outside of Luang Prabang. I believe that was in October 2019. I went there to run the Luang Prabang Half Marathon. My wife and I rented a motorbike. We drove out to the falls. And I can't remember, I don't think the facility was open that day, but we had a look at the information kind of at the entrance to it. I actually bought my dad a t-shirt, which he proudly wears. And I did end up looking at their website as a result of that. And I saw a couple bears. So yeah, it was kind of neat. And I'm very intrigued now. Yeah, I was lucky enough that uh, when I was working in tourism here in Cambodia a couple of years back, that I got to go for work and I brought my assistant with me because I figured she'd enjoy a day out. And we did a day trip uh, down to Phnom Tamao, which you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago when we did the episode on our favorite half and full day trips. Um, Phnom Tamao there is, is a really cool place to, to visit and get a bear experience. Yeah, and from what I read online, it's the largest bear sanctuary in the world, which really surprised me. I did not expect that. And I'm looking forward to learning more about bears because I know that there's moon bears and sun bears, I believe, in Asia. And that I learned uh, from an ex-colleague of mine, or not a colleague, but an alumni of mine in the leadership program, APLP, that we did in Hawaii. She is from China, Lucky Wu, and she worked with moon bears there for quite a while and had told me about it. So as far as I know, there's those two types of bears, but I'm sure Matt will school us fully on that. But Trevor, just before we bring Matt in, can you tell us how people that love this show can support it and help keep it on? Sure. You know, you could always like or rate our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on, or you can go to our website, talktravelasia.com, and you can click on the donate link that goes to our Patreon page. So on patreon.com, we have a number of people who are generous enough to help support us. And Scott and I have been doing this show as a hobby for a number of years. And uh, the support of our listeners is always appreciated. So thanks to our patrons who get special episodes every other week in between our normal episodes. Recently, we shared a chat about how Bangkok and, and Siem Reap have developed as cities over the past couple of years because uh, COVID or not, you know, change occurs so quickly here in Asia. And uh, in many ways, it didn't stop. Thanks in advance for supporting the show. And I am pumped to chat with Matt. Let's bring him in. 
Our guest, Matt Hunt, has been working with wild animals for over 30 years, initially in zoos and wildlife parks, but for the past 20 years, his work has focused on combating the illegal wildlife trade in Southeast Asia. As chief executive of Free the Bears, he's responsible for overseeing projects and partnerships in three Asian countries, developing world-class bear sanctuaries, training local teams to provide optimal care, and promoting environmental awareness in some of the world's least developed countries. Matt believes that long-term conservation of wildlife in Southeast Asia will only be achieved through a combination of strengthened law enforcement and improved environmental awareness. I believe Matt is joining us with Trevor in the same room from Phnom Penh. Is that right, Matt? That is correct, yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for making time. Trevor and I have both been to your facilities in different countries. I always like to get people's backstory. Could you tell us first where you're originally from and what did you do before this life here in Southeast Asia? So I grew up um, around an hour outside of London, visiting places like London Zoo and local zoos every year for birthdays and basically always wanted to work with animals from the moment I could talk. So I got my first job in a zoo when I was 15 years old, working on the weekends and holidays, and then did that basically for 10 years and thought it would be fun to come and volunteer in Southeast Asia and sort of lend a hand a bit more on the front line. And that was 22 years ago. Wow. So was it with Free the Bears or was it with another organization that you first came to Asia? I I actually came out to work with a different organization, but ended up not working with them and then volunteered with Free the Bears. Okay. And where was that? uh, In which country? In Thailand, that was. A friend of mine who was a New Zealand vet, he'd, he'd worked with this group. So he put us in touch, but it just, it was one of those things that didn't work out by the time we got here. Huh. You know, I didn't know that the Free the Bears had started in Thailand, or if it did start. I read actually a little bit on the website, and we'll have a link to the Free the Bears website on our show notes. But uh, maybe you could start then with a little background on on Free the Bears and and how it started. So Free the Bears was originally started as a petition group in 1993 by a grandmother in uh, Western Australia, Perth. And after a couple of years of collecting petition signatures against um, bear bar farming in China, People said to her, can we give you money so that you can do something to help? Um, So the fund was registered in uh, 1995. And then we set up our first program in the field ourselves um, in 1997 here in Cambodia. So tell me, Matt, when did you first get involved with Free the Bears? Where are you typically based these days and what are your duties? I came over in, in 2001. I came to Cambodia for the first time. But the year prior to that, I'd actually worked with a couple of rescued bears that were at the Perth Zoo in Western Australia. So I got in touch with Mary, the founder of Free the Bears, told her, gave her an update on how the bears were doing. And she basically told me for the next hour what Free the Bears had planned and how I could help. And I was to stop spending all the money I was earning and save up so that I could come and volunteer on my way home. So yeah, I told my parents I was going to stop off in Cambodia for a few months to avoid the British winter, and the rest is history. So, so then you started out just doing volunteer work like any other interested person would be. Exactly. And then you just sort of grew as the organization did? Yes. Them. Yeah, yeah. So we used to have a program here because because of my zoo background. Um, we could volunteer for three to six months and come and work with the, the local Cambodian staff, helping to improve the welfare of the bears. Um, so I started doing that, and then... 
through some good fortune, uh, another friend of mine from back in the UK had arrived around the same time. He worked with another group here in Cambodia and they offered me a job with a salary. So I did that for a few years and stayed close with Frida Bears. And then uh, my position became available and, and they asked me if I'd like to take it on. So are you the main person running the entire organization day to day? I have to write CEO at the bottom of letters when I send it. So, you know, it, it's this organization itself has changed massively. I think when when I took on that role, we had about five staff in Southeast Asia and uh, just between the projects in Cambodia and Laos. So one of my friends joked that CEO must stand for cleaner, electrician and office boy. <laughs> <laughs> but we're... we're <laughs> Top in 100 staff just about now between uh, Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Uh, is, where does the funding come from? Is it mostly from like volunteers or is it larger organizations that are helping support you or is it just people donating? So, you know, funding's changing all the time and definitely having the internet um, means that things go quite global. So we're registered as a charity in both Australia and the UK now. We had a TV series on BBC last year i think or That's 2020 helpful. which helped grow things in the uk significantly but um yeah you know we've got 262 bears in our care today so that's a lot of money for the food and the staff salaries for looking after them and for the enrichment and the vet care so we have like sponsorship programs we have amazing um, support groups around australia that go out and do all these events and then for the big things like, you know, construction of buildings, new bear houses or hospitals, wildlife hospitals or the field conservation work, we tend to get grants for that. So it's quite a mixed bag of, of different funding sources. So, Matt, I know that you have three centers. Am I right? You have one in Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos. Are they all doing the same thing, the same size? Can you tell us a bit about the three centers? Yeah, we, we actually have five. So um, here in Cambodia, we only have the one sanctuary, which we started in 1997-98, and there's 120 plus bears in that sanctuary now. Um, up in Laos, we started uh, the original sanctuary in 2003 out by the Takwang Sea waterfall, but there was always an understanding that that was limited in size because of how important that waterfall is and what a sort of area of outstanding natural beauty it is. They always said that they didn't want the the sanctuary to overtake the waterfall. So that was designed to hold up to 25 bears. And once we hit that maximum capacity, then we had to find a new site, which we took on in 2017. And we've been developing that um, for the last five years. And we've currently got mm -hmm. just over 70 bears in that site. And a little bit similar in Vietnam, we basically inherited a, a small bear rescue center that the national park had built up itself, but they didn't have a budget for it and the bears were not in the best of conditions. So we've taken over that and then three kilometers down the road, we're building a brand new sanctuary and gradually moving all of the bears to there whilst at the same time rescuing and bringing in more new bears. Impressive. Yeah, and again, Scott and I have both been to the sanctuaries. I've been to the one in Lord Prabang there as well, which is small, it's kind of nice. It's a very natural environment up there, which, yeah. is, which is really great. But maybe you could tell our listeners what types of bears we're talking about. Maybe yeah. a lot of people don't know what kind of bears might be in Southeast Asia. You wouldn't think of this place as bear country. Bears, yeah, not right? grizzly bears or anything. So so many people, like particularly at the sanctuary in Laos, where people are going to visit a waterfall, and they're walking along and suddenly see a, a big 
shaggy-haired bear sitting on a platform or swinging in a hammock. Um, and yeah, an awful lot of people don't even realise that there are bears in Southeast Asia, but we do have two species. We've got the, the world's smallest bear is the sun bear, which occurs from Indonesia up to southern China and across to India, uh, northeast India. Um, and that's very much a, a tropical bear species. You know, they're, they're small, even the biggest males are only about 70, 80 kilos. They spend a lot of time climbing up in trees. So they've got gigantic, long, curved Freddy Krueger-style claws. Um, and I think the best description I've heard of them is basically a pumped-up Rottweiler on steroids with, with giant claws. Um, and then the, the moon bear is the other species that we have, which has a wider range from sort of Far East Russia all the way across to um, Central Asia and, and really evolved in the mountains of the Himalayas and Central China. Um, so it, it looks much more typically bear-like. It's much more Mickey Mouse ears, long furry coat, which doesn't always do them so well in a hot climate like Cambodia. We're on the southern tip of their range here. But, but yeah, they're, they're more your classic bear. Yeah. So again, like I think most people wouldn't expect to see them here, and, and particularly here in Southeast Asia. Is it uncommon to see them because they're so under threat? Like maybe you could tell us why you set up here in these countries and what types of threats they face. So it's, it's very uncommon to see these bears in the wild um, because they're both considered vulnerable on the IUCN red list. And um, Southeast Asia, honestly, is considered to be the, the world's biodiversity hotspot that's most at risk for any mammal over the size of one kilogram. It's where the term empty forest syndrome came about where you've got all this beautiful forest um, but you really don't have much wildlife in there not due to lack of food or lack of resources or lack of species it's due to the hunting that goes on so the sad fact is that mostly if people see bears in southeast asia it's that they see them in a karaoke bar or in the back of a restaurant or even possibly in a bear bar farm or the lucky ones in a sanctuary wow that's a bit bleak, Matt. So tell us, what's the goal of Free the Bears and how do you feel you're doing? Uh, like I said, we, we originally started off to try and end the bear bar farming industry, which um, is going on in a number of countries, including in uh, Laos and Vietnam. So that's a big focus for us. But over the years, you know, we, we have partnered with other groups. We, we uh, formed a partnership with a group in India, um, with another funding partner in the UK to end the dancing bear tradition in India with Indian sloth bears. That resulted in, you know, more than 650 bears being rescued over seven years and a, tra uh, a sort of tradition that had been going on for hundreds of years coming to an end with the, the communities that had previously been forced to act as the dancing bears masters getting alternative livelihoods, which was a, a great success. And, and if I'm honest, you know, in wildlife conservation and animal welfare these days, you, you cherish the successes. <laughs> They're not as uh, common as you would like. So, so yeah, so we're still very much focused um, in, here in Southeast Asia on illegal wildlife trade and the bear bar farming industry or in Cambodia where we don't have bear bar farming, um, just the, the hunting of bears for bile and gallbladders and paws and whatever that leads them, you know, obviously suffering terribly. 
So ultimately, it's really just rescue them, or do you do any breeding, or is there any reintroduction back into the wild? We we very much focused on rescue and education and research at the moment, but we are just one of my jobs while I'm here in Cambodia is where we're just about to start building new facilities for re-releasing bears, um, and we're going to try and do that over all three countries at the same time. We've done since. 15 years now since 2007 we've been doing a lot of the research that you need before you can even begin to think about releasing bears it's it's not like you can just take a bear and throw it out in the forest and hope that it's going to be okay we have an awful lot that we don't know about these animals in the wild and, and we had to learn a lot to build the knowledge base and sort of the argument for getting them back out into the wild and now it's going to be the tricky bit of figuring out how to do that in a successful way because not many people have figured that out yet. So it's not exactly like you can take one of these animals that's lived most of its life in captivity, get it healed, get it healthy and just let it go. There's a lot more. No, absolutely not. And, you know, because, because of the sheer weight of numbers, um, you know, some of the bears that come into our care, they've suffered terribly. They, you know, they might've been caught in a snare trap or they might've been bashed over the head to knock them unconscious. So they could be tied up and carried out of the forest. So they arrive very stressed sometimes. And because at the moment we are managing them to live in the sanctuary close to people, we, we kind of manage them to get over their fears and get used to people quickly. If we're gonna be re-releasing these bears, you have to manage them in a completely different way. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big challenge, but we're we're definitely very excited about it. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, I'm curious about like the social dynamics too, because when I went to go visit, they, you had different groups of bears in different sections and they must get accustomed to each other. Yes. And I know that in the wild, maybe bears are more solitary animals, but I, I remember talking to Jack Highwood from the Elephant Sanctuaries here in Thailand and Cambodia, and he would like to release some as well, but there's social dynamics. You can't just release one bear necessarily yeah. and, and expect him to be fine on his own. No, I mean, actually, the, the bears are solitary in the wild. Yeah. But, you know, really, most wild animals, are, the way they live is geared around how they find their food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have these examples like the, the brown bears coming together on the rivers when the salmon is spawning, or polar bears coming together. You know, bears can enjoy each other's company if there's sufficient food around. If they're okay. wandering around the forest looking for a few berries and it, it makes no sense for them to move in packs so yeah. so they do all right in the sanctuary but but it is still complicated you know we have to manage them and they all have personalities and you you find bears that just don't like anyone and it might take 10 years and suddenly you find that special bear friend and and they're all good it's it's quite bizarre um, you also mentioned education. Is some of that educational outreach to the local communities so that if and when you release them or whichever wild bears are still remaining can be protected? Are you getting along with the local communities well? Where these- Absolutely. So, you know, we, we have these volunteer programs um, where international schools can come in and spend time at our sanctuaries. But one of the things that we did from day one of that is that for every international uh, student that we have coming in, we provide free days out for uh, local youth. So we all of our sanctuaries are open to visitors. We have upwards of half a million visitors a year um, pre-COVID times. So, you know, if you're gonna have all of these rescued bears, it would be wrong to not use them to help educate people about 
the species and try and build support in that way. But then we have all these much more, you know, structured learning programs for school groups and and local groups, and and we do that so that we hope to gradually win over people's hearts and minds. Because at the moment, like I say, a lot of people just simply don't even know that there's bears in Southeast Asia, and sadly, they're one of the most valuable animals in the forest, and so people tend to see them as a resource if if they know that they're around. Yeah, and you know, from from my perspective, having worked in tourism, there's always this like double-edged sword like it makes sense for you to want to create something of a tourist attraction out of the bears in order to create education and to to make money right Mm. but sometimes you're like oh it's a zoo like people don't want to go to zoos but in reality like Phnom Mao here south of Phnom Penh is such a great tourist attraction it's a great day out is what was kind of the motive behind making it into something people could do yeah I will be clear and say that actually all of our sanctuaries are owned by the government. So we own nothing. We just pay for the development and for the operating costs. Um, so for places like Nom Tamao and Takwang Si, their entrance tickets that are purchased, that, that money goes to the government. We don't get anything from those. It is, it is a bit of a double-edged sword, like you say, because there's definitely a big part of me that would like to have the bears living in a pure sanctuary environment mm. without having any visitors but we we kind of manage that by you know at, at, at Nom Tamao in Cambodia the visitors can only see about a third of the enclosures that we have and all of those enclosures that they can see the bears have places where they can get well away from the visitors if they want to so it really is up to the bears and and a lot of our bears that come in up here particularly they're former pets so they're kind of interested it's been interesting over the covid period the bears at takwang C are so used to having a stream of people going past and they kind of watch them every day during covid when there was no visitors for months you'd go up there and the bears you know they almost run over <laughs> towards the walkways to, to say hi interesting so tell us about the experiences visitors can have in the different countries and what do they get from the experience so we, we have a, a bunch of Different programs. We, we have our bear care tours, our, our one day behind the scenes uh, visit to the sanctuaries accompanied by our staff and getting to sort of, you know, go and visit places, you know, the parts of the sanctuary that uh, the general visitors don't see. They get help with the uh, preparing the food and the enrichment for the bears and hiding some of the food around the enclosure because bears are so intelligent that you, you can't just put their food down in a bowl like you would maybe for a pet dog. They spend all their time walking around looking for food in the wild. So we try to recreate that in the sanctuary and hide it throughout the enclosure. Then we have our, um, our schools programs and things like youth groups, these uh, service tours, you know, kids coming over um, as part of their end of years or, you know, treats or development stuff. And, and, and then they can get a bit more involved. You know, they help us build enrichment toys. They help us weave hammocks. They build climbing towers for the bears. So. I, I, I do like the fact as well, you know, I, I think that in order to capture people's hearts, you know, sometimes that's not possible with a, a three minute walk through a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So if you've got them for a few days, you know, they, they get to really see the bears' personalities that much more and, and hopefully will be more motivated to, to help in the future. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I recommend anyone go to any of the sanctuaries in these three countries, just because you mentioned earlier, was it the moon or the sun bears that look like the Rottweilers? The sun bears. Sun bears, yeah. And you can throw peanuts to them and they catch them in their mouth. Like yeah. they, they really seem to have a lot of personality. And I think, uh, 
you know, the other thing we did as volunteers is we filled these little balls up with uh, vegetables. You st- exactly. Yeah, yes. and then you rub honey all over the outside of it, and then the the bears like kind of play with these balls while they're eating them, and, and we hid the, <laughs> we hid the food around, yeah. and it's like a playpen for bears. I think like it's kind of funny. You made like a really happy place for bears. It seems that have come from maybe traumatic it, it's backgrounds. A, it's it's a real challenge, you know. Like these animals are highly intelligent, so to keep them stimulated all the time it is it is a real challenge but also volunteers can add to that you know one, one of the things coming from a sort of zookeeper background i know that even if you're charged with you know feeding animals twice a day and you have to walk into the enclosure and throw the food around randomly you can't help but get into a habit you walk the same path you know your your throw goes a certain amount of meters and falls in a certain place when you get volunteers in who've never done it before you know they're, they're really into it and they're you know digging holes and you know hiding stuff underneath leaves and rocks and and it does it it, it really does contribute to making things better for the bears hmm. i see you have some baby bears on the website are you breeding bears as well no we we don't breed bears uh quite simply because we have so many coming in each year through rescue hmm. and you know our goal would be one day that we don't have any bears in the sanctuaries um, and they're all living happily in the wild. So uh, there is a, a role for uh, conservation breeding of bears, you know, in zoos and stuff. So we, we have supported that. Um, in the past, we've sent bears to join the uh, regional breeding programs in Australia and in Europe. But but for over here, where obviously our our space and our resources and finances are limited and we have, you know, it's, upwards i think the most we've had in one year is like 23 bears coming in in cambodia there's you know if if we started breeding from all the bears in our sanctuaries it would be out of control pretty quickly i guess but it's amazing still that you're getting so many bears which means there must still be bears in the wild for people to to capture get from pets where are most of these bears living are they from within cambodia and vietnam yes yeah so within cambodia the the sort of stronghold uh, down in the southwest in the cardamoms and then up in the northeast in, you know, Mondulkiri and those eastern plains. You know, bears are fairly resilient, but at the end of the day, they're under intense hunting pressure plus the habitat loss, you know, and, and we're, we're working specifically in three countries where tigers have functionally become extinct over the time that I've been here. So the danger we have with bears is that, you know, nobody has quite figured out how to monitor long-term bear populations in the wild. The the best indicator we have of bears being present in a forest is claw marks, but they can last for two years. So you can actually have a population of bears wiped out by hunters in a forest and you don't know about it possibly for several years, which is kind of what happened with the tigers. And that's obviously our fear. Well, it seems like you're doing a good job there because it started back with five employees and now you have a hundred <laughs> and uh, it's not necessarily a good thing, as you say, to have a need for your type of, of work, but uh, it seems like you're going in a good direction. What's, what's the future look like for Free the Bears? Everybody nowadays is very familiar with this term, flatten the curve. And, and I always sort of try to explain to people that, you know, Anywhere you have wild bears in the world, there is conflict with humans. And particularly here in Southeast Asia, it's pretty intense with this hunting and illegal wildlife trade. So our work tends to take this very classic curve shape where you get started and it takes a few years for people, 
you know, for the relations with the government to grow and for the confidence to do the wildlife law enforcement to start happening. And then people get the hang of it. And then you go on what I call the, the roller coaster ride, which is the very steep incline where people, you know, the population are used to hunting bears and, and used to nothing happening. So suddenly there's bears being rescued all over the place. And then after a few years, people start to get the message. You know, you, you hopefully you're doing education awareness. It's getting out in the newspapers or on TV. And people start to realize, okay, well, if I buy a bear, there's a good chance that I'm going to get arrested and I'll lose that money. I'll lose that investment. So it's that whole risk reward thing. And then it starts to drop off. And I, I think, you know, with Cambodia being our longest running program, we're at that stage now where we have a few rescues a year, but it's not as terrible as it, it was back in sort of 2005, 2006. Laos and Vietnam, we're on the roller coaster still. Mm. Putting the spotlight on you a bit, Matt, I had a look through the website, which is excellent. I encourage all our listeners to go to the website. You won the San Diego Zoo Global 2018 Conservation Medal. Tell us about that. Uh, I, I think that was a misprint. No, I, I did. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it, it, I was very honored to receive that. It was slightly intimidating when you received the letter and they list all the past recipients, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive and, and made me feel pretty insignificant. But um, yeah, there, we, we've been working with San Diego Zoo Global for uh, pushing 10 years now. I actually went there when I was a zookeeper in 1997 to get a little bit of work experience uh, for a couple of weeks. It was pretty amazing. You know, I, I was back there 21 years later, you know, from being a, a work experience kid, get, being given all the best jobs, which you can imagine what that would be in a zoo, um, to standing on a stage in wearing an ill-fitting suit and a stupid grin and <laughs> collecting a, a medal. <laughs> I reckon that gave you a leg up and, and hopefully there were some volunteers there at the zoo when you got your award that will be inspired to continue to do a lifetime of work as you have. I, I do think, you know, one of the things I like is whether you like zoos or, or don't, the people working in zoos generally tend to be massive animal lovers and they want nothing but the best. And, and so I do like sort of giving talks and presentations at zoos and, and sort of saying to people, you know, I, I don't consider myself special at all, but you've, you've got to put yourself out there and there's plenty of work to be done over in this part of the world or anywhere in field conservation. So, you know, I wouldn't say that the skills I learned in zoos in 10 years are what I'm doing a lot of today, but you just, you know, if you're willing to work hard and take on anything, then you can uh, hopefully contribute a little bit. All right. Well, suppose... Some of our listeners are planning to come to Vietnam or Cambodia in the near future. How can they learn more or get involved or plan an experience with Free the Bears? Well, you know, hopefully once this COVID period is over, uh, I do hope that, you know, we'll have our volunteer programs up and running again and our bear care tours. And again, even with these volunteer programs, we get so many people that come along and we've had 80 year olds that said, you know, when I was 20, I had a choice of working with animals or getting married and having children. And I, I chose to get married and have children or whatever, but I never lost the desire to work with animals. So I, I hope that we do offer sort of once in a lifetime experiences for people. And like I say, it, if that then leads them going back home and getting inspired to do 
do something, get involved with a fundraising group or take on a online challenge. We do this annual night in a cage thing where we encourage our supporters to spend the night in a cage that they build in their own home or in their garden, get their friends to sponsor them. Everyone can do mm. something, um, but it's just a case of making those connections and, and giving people the opportunity to meet these amazing bears and fall in love with them. Incredible. Well, I'm really impressed with what you do. And I bought my dad a Free the Bears t-shirt. And when I went back to Canada in December, he was proudly wearing it in Nanaimo, Canada. I look forward to getting to your centers in Cambodia and Vietnam. It's really admirable work you do. I encourage all our listeners to go to the show notes, uh, check out the links to the websites. And I look forward to meeting you one day in person. I hope, Matt, keep up the great work. I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing stuff you do. Uh, you're very welcome anytime. Just drop us a line and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go see, say hi to some bears. It's, it's never a bad day if you get to hang out with bears for a bit. I completely agree, and, and I'll probably take you up on that. <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show, Matt. No worries. Thank you for having me. Hey, Scott. It was great to have Matt on the show and live and in person with me. Uh, he and I went out for a beer right after we finished recording, and he's a really nice man and doing a really cool thing. Uh, great program. Don't you agree? Yeah, I have recording envy that I was sitting all alone. It was fun to watch. We So when we record this, we have video for us to see each other, and it was kind of fun to watch you interact with Matt. And Really great to learn more about the organization. I'd been to their facility in Luang Prabang or outside of Luang Prabang and thought it was pretty cool, but I just didn't know that much about it. And I had no idea that the facility in Cambodia particularly was so large. What, they have over 200 bears or something? Yeah, you know, that whole program here in Cambodia is really great. And, uh, you know, when I went down there to visit, I actually got to watch uh, a video that explained a bit more of the history. So I knew a bit about uh, what they did going into it a bit more, I guess. But it, it was amazing to hear like what they're doing up in Laos as well. Especially he, he told me that uh, there's a big like car park there for the waterfall now. And there's like a kind of separate entrance to go to the waterfall. So maybe right. like the, the big the traffic might not affect the bears so so much, even though the bears kind of like to see people at the same time. Uh, it won't be like overwhelming for them, perhaps. So I don't know it's it sounds cool that they got another sanctuary up that we didn't know about, and uh, and these bears are pretty amazing creatures, so they deserve the help. It was pretty neat that he mentioned there's room for the bears to get away from where people can see them. That didn't really dawn on me when I was at the facility and I saw a few of them. Is that they actually have enough space for them to avoid people if they don't want that stress and they want a little privacy. Also, it was kind of neat that he mentioned how during this COVID period, with the lack of traffic going to their facility and going past to the waterfall, that the bears actually come out and sort of, you know, pine for somebody to have a look at a human going by. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, maybe get a carrot or a potato or something like that, you know, because, uh, yeah, the, the feeding experience when you do that at the at the park is really cool. Um, he mentioned like hiding the food and we got to do that. We got to go into this enclosure and, and hide different snacks is like try and hide them as well as you can. They said because the bears will find them, but they enjoy like trying to find them. So it's like foraging for them, you know, so it's pretty neat. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I didn't think about the fact that you know, they actually don't just want their food in a bowl, that they need that activity. They probably need to work their brain, have the physical challenge of getting out there and finding food. That was neat. I was a little surprised to learn that the entrance fees actually go to the governments, I guess, as a bit of a lease on the land. At first, I thought, oh, well, that's kind of crummy. You would hope governments can just donate this land. But I am sure there is a ton of negotiation 
and behind the scenes dealing and paperwork and whatnot that must go on to get, you know, leased or given some land to use for that kind of thing. So it's amazing they've even pulled it off and really admirable work. Yeah. So if listeners want to learn more, you can go to our show notes, talktravelasia.com, and we'll have links so that you can learn more about Free the Bears. You can learn about other episodes that we have that are also about animal tourism or ways to experience animals responsibly. And uh, we, of course, appreciate any patronage that you can give us by clicking on the donate button to support us on Patreon. So thanks for listening again. Uh, Scott, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Hope you enjoy the mix of episodes from learning about a new far-flung place to learning about a social cause like this one, Free the Bears. Thanks for listening. Keep dreaming of travel. The world is slowly opening up and we'll be back in two weeks with another fantastic episode. Until then. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Camp